This is the Frankly Daniel Show, and yes, I'm the Daniel in the Frankly part of this enterprise. It's my weekly exercise of our First Amendment rights. Thank you for joining me today, and it's an honor to be here with you. My show today is entitled, The Killers Among Us. The greatest disease in the West today is not tuberculosis or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We could cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for just just a little love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It is not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love, and there's a hunger for God. Now, these aren't my words. Uh, They're far too insightful and eloquent for my authorship. Instead, they're the words of St. Teresa of Calcutta. But I might add to her words that there's also no longer any fear of God in American society. Yes, I said fear. Fear of eternal damnation, if you prefer. There's no such place as hell in the progressive Democrats' ideology. I don't know if you've noticed. To them, we're all eventually going to die and emote to an alternative universe awaiting our next incarnation. Or not. But please don't fret. I'm not going to break out quoting scripture or preach a sermon today. But I sincerely believe we have lost our moral compass. Moral compass, you say? Yes, the morality I'm talking about is being aggressively, systematically, and violently erased by the progressive left in America. And even more distressing, it's being replaced with a cold, sterile secularism in which God plays no role. Oh, we we call on God in our public discourse when it's politically convenient. Here's a recent example of just such blasphemy by a Catholic president whose schizophrenic mind is able is able to, as a Christian, worship God, yet advocate for unrestricted abortion or the killing or the murder of the unborn. As a nation, we have to ask, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? When in God's name we do what we all know in our gut needs to be done? What in God's name do you need a solvent for except to kill someone? For God's sake, it's just sick. And the gun manufacturers have spent two decades aggressively marking assault weapons, which make them the most and largest profit. For God's sake, we have to have the courage to stand up to the industry. Yes, in God's name, and for God's sakes, Joe, for God's sake, I'd like to ask for God's sake, how is it that we slaughter we murder 700,000 of the innocent unborn yearly in America, but we call on God to shackle the gun lobby and expunge our Second Amendment rights. What happened in Uvalde, Texas is unbearable, unspeakable, unbelievable. But for God's sake, screaming about the gun lobby as the cause of this evil is evil itself, Joe. 
Now, Biden continues to prove he's nothing more than a political hack. And I've said so before, and I'll say it again. Joe Biden should stop trying so hard. He's already, hands down, the worst, most pathetic, loathsome president in my lifetime. And he's only been in office for 16 months. Can you imagine what America will look like after a four-year term? Biden will go on and give other addresses this week, for God's sake, over and over again, in God's name. Now, taking Joe's lead, I've asked God, for in the name of heaven's sake, why, we, why we've been saddled with this president. And the answer I got is going to surprise you. His text message said it was so that America will learn to never elect another Joe Biden. Message received. Yes, I promised, I promised a week ago, a couple of weeks ago actually, that I was devoting a Frankly Daniel show to the very bedeviling and often incendiary topic of abortion in America. Today's that day. There'll be others, I promise. And my show today is for God's sake, but it's also for our sake, or to be more specific, it's for my sake, because I'm gravely worried about this nation's godless direction. And I'm going to ask you several times today, is God dead to Americans? Do we no longer fear God? It's too easy and so very disingenuous to blame guns for all these senseless murders in Buffalo and Uvalde, Texas. Murders executed by two 18-year-old teenagers. We now have kids killing kids. Is this fact lost on any of us? Between the forced breakdown of the nuclear family, drug addiction being fueled by a pernicious open border policy, critical race tenants, gender identity, and all forms of sexual orientation being openly and forcefully taught to our kindergartners in our public schools and most of our private independent schools as well. What, what are we to expect of our children going forward? associations, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, have together declared a national state of emergency in children's mental health caused by COVID. Parents report grief, anxiety, and depression among children citing school closures and forced isolations as the primary culprits. Suicide attempts among adolescents are rising sharply, most acutely among 12 to 17-year-old girls, by 51% since the start of the pandemic. There's a new socio-psychological phenomenon called gender dysphoria. is rampant among teen girls in America and other Western countries, all leading to mass gender confusion and false solutions such as transgenderism, all being pushed by, of course, transgender activists, our popular media, and, and who else but the Biden White House. You know, 10 years ago, gender dysphoria was, was largely unheard of and rarely diagnosed. What's changed? Well, what do you think? Now, as for guns, we've had guns in America forever. And to set the record straight, the National Rifle Association, a.k.a. NRA, spends around $2 million a year lobbying Congress, Joe. And for heaven's sakes, n not God's, but heaven, the NRA filed for bankruptcy protection last year. And yes, I'm a member of the NRA because I support our Second Amendment rights. Now, by comparison, the pharmaceutical companies, what do you think they spend? They spend upwards of 
$90 million a year lobbying Congress. Have you priced your CVS or Walgreens drug prescriptions as to what they'd cost if you didn't have pharmacy insurance benefits? Now, who would you say was more successful in their lobbying, the National Rifle Association or the National Pharmaceutical Association? Would someone please point this out to Joe? Truth be told, there are far fewer guns per family household today than there were just 50 years ago. 50 years is that that new anniversary we all look at today because of the Roe v. Wade decision. Yet we have these heinous, anomalous mass shootings carried out by American young men, all loners, all clearly mentally disturbed. Now let let me ask you, do, do we have a national mental health crisis? Or is it a health crisis of morals? Is anyone teaching moral values of our Judeo-Christian beliefs to our children? Recent reports cite that in most parts of America, fewer than 30% of children attend regular church services. Boy, this has changed since, since when I grew up. This week, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas said, and I'm paraphrasing, that the act by this deranged teenager was nothing short of pure evil. It was evil itself, he said. Later in the press briefing, a reporter asked Governor Abbott if this act of mass murder was evil or was it a mental health problem. Now, the reporter cleverly and and smugly, I might point out, said, which is it, evil or mental health? The reporter said there's no medical health diagnosis or classification for evil, much less pure evil. True, but perhaps there should be one. Look at this kid's home life and upbringing, and tell me you don't see how evil captured this kid. I ask you, if God isn't dead to Americans, then what what do you call the mounting societal problems eating America alive? Every day, I see on my social media feeds short bios of people declaring they're God-fearing Americans. Now, this warms my heart. It's good to know that they're out there, but how many of us are there left? It only occasionally seems correct to bring God into our political discourse or into our state, local, or national policies. But do we ever mean it? And, and what happened to in God we trust? And what is it we trust God with? Drug overdoses have claimed the top spot in the cause of death among 16 to 45-year-old Americans. New numbers out today from the CDC show how drug overdoses have surged during the pandemic. More than 107,000 Americans died of drug overdoses in 2021. That's the highest annual death toll ever recorded and a 15% increase from the year before. Deaths involving fentanyl, meth, and cocaine rose sharply. And look, and look at all the other problems rampant in America. From inflation to crime to gas and food prices. And even baby formula. Yes, Joe Biden, for God's sake, what about our children? Should you have taken those steps sooner before parents got to these shelves and, and couldn't find formula? If we'd been better mind readers, I guess we could have. But we moved as quickly as the problem became apparent to us. And we have to move with caution as well as speed. 
clearly, Joe Biden should have paid more attention to the fact that his agency, the Food and Drug Administration, a.k.a. FDA, shut down a factory that supplies 43% of the nation's baby formula. And if you're concerned about that kind of concentration in the industry, Joe, don't you think he should have looked at it before this became a crisis, especially after your agency closed this factory down three months ago, and now you're going to talk to us about safety and supply? Obviously, Joe, you misplaced the phone number we gave you to 1-800-PSYCHIC. For God's sakes, Joe, why can't you pay attention to at least, to the very least, the babies who made it past the abortion gauntlet? Did you realize that we're the only Western nation on earth that has ever I mean, ever declared a man-made baby formula crisis? A crisis for which the President of the United States of America, one of the most powerful nations ever on this earth, quietly invoked the National Defense Protection Act. In defense of the nation, manufacturers are to drop all other product lines and make baby formula. Do we really expect Joe Biden to give a damn about millions of abortions when he can't even seem to monitor the crisis his administration creates? And and what about the other special interests of progressive Democrats? I'm talking about those interests over and above the interests of by and far the greater majority of Americans. This is about a lot more than abortion. What happens if you have a uh, state changes the law saying that, that, that children who are LGBTQ can't be in classrooms with other children? Is that, is that legit under the way the, the decision is written? What are the next things that are going to be attacked? Because this MAGA crowd is really the most extreme political ex- organization that's existed in American history. Here we go again. Joe's more worried about the LBGTQ plus kids than he is about aborting millions of the unborn. And besides, Joe, but per- Florida's Parental Rights Education Act, it doesn't harm or exclude LGBTQ kids from anything, and Florida never will. The progressive Democrats love fear, let's face it. All their political dialogue is either blame or scare tactics mixed with mis- misdirection and half-truths which looked at correctly are really just half lies. Now, now say, Joe, I, I, I thought you said during your inaugural address that you were going to be the president of all the people. Is this your idea of all the people? I suppose you don't believe the unborn are part of your all the people. Well, I do, Joe, and I believe there are millions of us that also believe these humans, without a voice, are also an essential part of all the people. But this is but only one major difference between us and the radical progressives you really represent, Joe. And it's clearly not those among us who are proud to be among the ultra-MAGA believers. I know you're going to find this a strange continuance, but... Let's move our discussion about abortion with a look at our Pledge of Allegiance. Now, I suppose if you're over 40, you you know the pledge by heart. But if you're much younger, you probably don't have a clue as to what I'm talking about. 
No, no problem. We're, we're going to get to the pledge in a moment. Perhaps, just perhaps, there's something in the Pledge of Allegiance that's one of those loose threads that, if you pull at it, all sorts of concerns begin to unravel. May I, may I ask you a personal question? But like all such questions on the Frankly Daniel Show, this question and your answer is just between you and me, okay? Here it goes. Is God dead to Americans? Is God dead to Americans? The reason I'm asking you is that I've been thinking about all the events that pop up seemingly out of nowhere every day that are nothing short of the most repugnant evil. And I'm beginning to wonder if we're moving toward a nation unmoored, anchorless, in the sea of immorality. Frankly, uh, Satan appears to be having a block party on every other corner of America. Now take this heinous tragedy murder of innocent elementary children in Texas. We've already touched on it. Was that the act of an evil youth or a mentally deranged miscreant? You know, our civil discourse is hardly civil on things like this. The extreme, secular, godless ideology of progressive Democrats, especially radical progressives, have launched a take-no-prisoners war against anything that has to do with Judeo-Christian values and morals. We, se- we seem to be awash in a godless, a senseless a sexual revolution that, that's not only ridiculous on its face, but it's darn right dangerous to our youth's mental stability in the near term and most certainly in the long run. Where's my evidence? Just search YouTube and Rumble and the numerous articles authored by young men and women detransitioning from prior incarnations as transgender and transsexual victims. We're led by propagandists to believe that if we don't support the rush to accommodate 50 ways to gender expression, millions of our youth will self-destruct via suicide. Truth told, these individuals' underlying mental health issues have nothing to do with their social media-inspired epiphanies about gender expression. You should ask yourself, what's the progressive Marxist real agenda when it comes to what they're not saying about their persistent sexual revolution? Now, here's a clip from the Ruth Institute talking on the topic of sexual revolution. It's a a bit on the long side, but I think you'll find it mind-opening. I'm Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse. I'm founder and president of the Ruth Institute. The mission of the Ruth Institute is to create a mass social movement to put a stop to family breakdown. And I have been asked to talk with you about propaganda and the transgender and homosexuality movement. We view the issues of same-sex attraction and homosexuality as just being one more category of victims and survivors of the sexual revolution. It's one giant ideology that is generating all of this nonsense. The ideology is the thing. Now, you have to understand that when you're dealing with a revolution, for the true revolutionary, the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. So it may seem like the issue is transgenderism or bathrooms or whether gays can adopt children or divorce or any of the number of things. 
But really the issue is the revolution and keeping that going, keeping the fantasy ideology going, that it's somehow possible to create this brave new world that they want to bring into being. So what is the gender ideology? How do I define the gender ideology? Um, in, back in the day, the gender ideology used to be that men and women are identical, except women are better. That's the way I used to describe it back in the day of the feminism. Men and women are the same, except women are better. That's the kind of feminism that I grew up with. But that uh, thing has morphed over time, which I'll explain to you. So therefore, if men and women are really identical, wiping out all observed differences between men and women is a social imperative. All right, and that's how feminism got its start. If those of you who are old enough to remember, this is what was being done. This is being, being advocated. Any differences you see between men and women are socially constructed and therefore unjust and therefore should be reconstructed by society. So keep that image in mind. Men and women are really the same secretly. You didn't know that, but really men and women are the same. Um, and any differences you observe are all socially constructed and have to be wiped out. Now, examples of this gender ideology in action, all right, um, is that we have required equality in sports programs. That was the point of Title IX of the Civil Rights Act. They have adapted or changed or basically dropped physical fitness requirements for things like law enforcement officers and, uh, and, and the military in order to have women in, enter those professions. And, look, um, and, and so uh, the, the ideology is that men and women are different and so we have to do something Men and women are the same, and so we have to do something to overcome the fact that they aren't the same. And so changing the requirements, the physical fitness requirements, is part of it. Many other examples, we could go on all day. Now, let me couple these thoughts with the testimony of newly confirmed Associate Supreme Court Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson during her confirmation hearing. Not only have we lost sight of God in our lives, but the left can't even define, they can't even define what a woman is. And if they can't, then how can they claim this person of un, undefined attributes has abortion rights specific to them? Now this following clip, it has some long pauses in it, and I've intentionally left them in to demonstrate how long Justice Brown Jackson took in answering Senator Marsha Blackburn's questions. Do you agree with Justice Ginsburg that there are physical differences between men and women that are enduring? Um, Senator, respectfully, I am not familiar with that particular quote or case, okay. so it's hard for me to... Do you interpret Justice Ginsburg's meaning of men and women as male and female? Again, because I don't know the case, I don't know how I interpret it. I need to read the whole okay. thing. Okay. Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? N not in okay. this context. So I'm you not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition? Senator, in my work as a judge, what I do is I address disputes. If there's a dispute about a definition, 
people make arguments and I look at the right. law and I decide. Well, so I'm not. The fact that you can't give me a straight answer about something as fundamental as what a woman is underscores the dangers of the kind of progressive education that we are hearing about. Just last week, an entire generation of young girls watched as our taxpayer-funded institutions permitted a biological man to compete and beat a biological woman in the NCAA swimming championships. What message do you think this sends to girls who aspire to compete and win in sports at the highest levels? Senator, I'm not sure what message that sends. If, if you're asking me about the legal issues related to it, um, those are topics that are being hotly discussed, as you say, and I, could come to the court. So I'm and not able to. I think it tells our girls that their voices don't matter. I think it tells them that they're second-class citizens, and parents want to have a Supreme Court justice who is committed to preserving parental autonomy and protecting our nation's children. What a novel idea. Girls are girls and boys are boys, and never the twain shall meet. How long do you think it would have taken God to answer the question, What is a woman? If you've ever read the first chapters of Genesis, and I recommend that to everybody, then you already know the answer. And while we're asking ourselves questions about our Judeo-Christian God's role in our society, let's ask what role does God play in the progressive left's celebrated critical race theory? Is God anywhere to be found in critical race theory? And how about God's role in the destruction of the nuclear family? It flagrantly appears from the teachings of the progressive left. A father in families is no longer a necessary component of today's American family. Only 30 years ago, just 30 years ago, fathers were present in 80% of black families. Today's estimates say that fathers are present in only 20% of black families. Is this God's work? Well, it's about time to hear from Kamala, or Kamala, or Vice President Harris. It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Every day it is time for us to... Take a break, a very short break, and then it's time to come right back, because every day it's time to come back and to hear the rest of the story. And do I have a lot of important information? You'll be happy you made the time to come back and hear. So hit the head, hit the fridge, and hurry right back. You know you're loved here on the Frankly Daniels Show, and I'm not kidding. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. 
Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed our cells. But most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L. -E -L -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Surely if you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. So you can listen in on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Frankly Daniels Show. Before the break, I was marching toward an exploration of our Pledge of Allegiance. Believe it or not, remember it or not, we invoke God's name in our Pledge of Allegiance. Our pledge is meant to be a promise of allegiance to America, to its principles, to its people, to its flag. But in many ways, it's also a pledge to one nation under God. And that's God with a capital G. Now, progressive Democrats have never liked the Pledge of Allegiance and have often filed lawsuits to expunge the name of God out of the pledge and to ban the pledge itself. Now, taking God out of the pledge is all about their purity stance on the separation of state and religion, often said as state and church. But then again, you don't have to belong to any religion to believe in God, or do you? So we're back to the question, where is God's place in our American lives? And again, how about abortion? We're being told that God has no place in the discussions about a woman's right to choose whether to keep and birth or abort her child. Is that your belief? Do you believe God has no place in this decision? But in all seriousness, I will never be a woman confronted with an unwanted pregnancy. I can't imagine nor would I ever be successful even if I tried to put myself in her place when confronted with a very serious dilemma. I know and I agree contraception doesn't always work. And there are those moments when in the heat of passion 
protections against an unwanted pregnancy, they're just not taken. Heated passion rarely halts long enough for logic and precaution to prevail. But the issues of survival aside, there's a host of ethical, moral, religious, and logical issues that are buried under the 12-alarm, fire-engine red, bile-laden, hateful rhetoric flooding of our television screens and other forms of social media with anger from the left. But the anger and outright lies being stirred and spewed by the so-called progressive left about abortion and women's rights takes the prize for the most uncivil protest our nation has seen in my lifetime. And I lived through the Vietnam year wars when protests got pretty raw. In my experience, you have to listen carefully to the rhetorical and fancy dialogue of progressives like Pocahontas, a.k.a. Senator Elizabeth Warren. I I still don't understand why even an ultra-liberal state like Massachusetts keeps returning her to the Senate. While at Harvard, I spent 15 years in Boston, many of those years when Liz Warren was the dean of the Harvard Law School, a position she cheated her way into by claiming she was a Native American. She then enjoyed years of false notoriety as the first female Native American law school dean. Now, if you haven't noticed, the progressive Democrats are really into firsts. There's the first female a black vice president, the first black female Supreme Court justice, the first black female lesbian immigrant press secretary, and until recently, the first female Native American senator. Liz's claim, I might add, was based entirely on her mother's telling her that she had high cheekbones like members of the Cherokee Nation. Liz even put down that she was a Native American Indian on her Texas bar application. And I don't mean the kind of bar where you order two shots of Jack Daniels. We know what happened to her claims once the DNA analysis came back. She was unceremoniously declared a pale-faced liar. Nevertheless, listen as she tiptoes through the abortion tulips in this interview. Just like you're saying now, in the book you write, you believe in a woman's choice no matter how difficult the decision But there is a question, should there be any limits on abortions? No, I'm going to put it this way. I think that the woman who is most affected should be at the heart of this. Of course. I think that she should be able to call on her partner. Right. Her mother, um, her priest, her rabbi. She should be able to bring in the people she needs. But in a pregnancy, I don't believe that it is the state that should intervene with its heavy hand Mm. and make the decision. This all sounds so caring and sensitive. I really liked her, you know, very considerate tone in answering this question. But if you notice, she didn't answer the question as to whether there should be any limits or restrictions on abortion. So far, I can't find one Democrat, be they a progressive or an outright Marxist, that will say they believe there should be restrictions on, say, late-term abortions or partial birth abortions or any particular gestational age or, or anything. But here's my question. Where does the unborn infant go to get their priest, 
to get their rabbi, to get their experts and, and their family that is not going to be their family, and to get their lawyers. Yes, indeed, who protects the unborn? This sounds an awful lot like a life and life and death trial where, say, only the prosecution gets a say in which the defenseless does not have a right to a defense. That sounds that sounds pretty much where they're they're coming from. In God we trust. In God we trust, you say. I'll ask this again. What is it we entrust to God? Apparently it's not our immortal souls. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's no place for a healthy discussion about these issues confronting us today. I'm just saying there's a huge missing element. This element was prominent in my upbringing, and I find it curiously missing in today's education and stewardship of our children. And so I wonder, is God dead to Americans? And by God, I mean the lessons of the Ten Commandments and all the other tenets of the Judeo-Christian values that stood as America's foundation just a generation ago. And as I've said, I'm not a man of religion. I'm a Christian, but I don't claim I'm anything more than an interested historian in the Bible's 400 years of lessons. And there's a lot of lessons. There's a lot of lessons in that book. Now, I occasionally quote scripture. It makes me sound scholarly, but I don't make it a practice. I was raised Catholic, and this is my foundation of Christianity. But I'm a recovering Catholic, to be honest. And I'm not a preachy fellow, nor do I endorse one religious view over another. But there is a moral code across the mainstream religions that's sorely absent from much of our policy debates today. So let's carry on and let's get to the Pledge of Allegiance. Here we go. I pledge of allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. For me, the most important clause in this Pledge of Allegiance is the phrase, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now, I know that you've been listening right along, and I'm sure that by now you have figured out that it's my premise. We are no longer one nation under God. Not a Jewish God, not a Muslim God, not a Christian God. In fact, I don't believe we're a nation under any God today, other than perhaps the false idols of secularism, progressivism, and what many conservative commentators are calling American Marxism. Now, it's, it's my growing belief that a nation that endorses, a nation that's willing to lie to itself and to violently fight for a woman's right to abort an innocent, unborn infant to abort a growing child for any and no reason at all other than this innocent life is inconvenient, a nation that claims it sees an an abortion right, a made-up right that's nowhere found, nor is it written and articulated anywhere in our Constitution. A nation that takes this position is not a nation under God, and is not a nation under one God or any God other than a selfish and self-serving God. Instead, it's a nation headed toward imperialistic totalitarianism. It's a nation where blue totalitarian states 
in our country are pushing to colonize red, liberty, and freedom-loving states and force them under to bow to a centralized government that will make all the decisions. And I mean all decisions. And you better damn well obey or there will be consequences to nonconformity. You either conform, well, uh, as Joe Biden is often fond of saying, or, or, or you know the thing. I mean, radical progressives are pushing a system where individualism not only has no place in American society, but is crushed whenever and wherever it sort of pops up. Now, you think that I'm pushing religion a little too far. Perhaps I am. But it's not religion I'm pushing. It's it's the tenets of the Judeo-Christian values that we've embraced through the entire history of our country. Now, here's an audio clip of someone called Anna Kasparian. She's an anchor on the Young Turks Network, speaking to, to those of us who are still stuck on the notion of one God when it comes to abortion. These comments might be strong, but it's how I genuinely feel. Um, I don't care that you're a Christian. I don't care what the Bible says. Like, I feel like it's a clown show, like sitting here trying to decipher what your little mythical book has to say about these very real political issues, right? I don't care if you're Christian. In fact, I will fight for you to have your religious liberty and practice your Christianity. I believe in that. I don't believe in Christianity, which means that you do not get to dictate the way I live my life based on your religion. I don't care what the Bible says. You have every right in the world, all those women who identify with your religion have every right in the world to not get an abortion, to not take birth control, but they do not have the right to dictate my life and what I decide to do with my body. I don't care about your goddamn religion. I'm so tired of having nonstop conversations about what the Bible says. You live your life in the way that you interpret the Bible. Again, I don't care, but you don't get to take the Bible and tell me, well, the Bible says this in this chapter and this verse. I don't care. I don't care. I don't believe in it. And I have the right based on our constitution to not believe in it. So did that raise your blood pressure a point or two? I'd call Miss Kasparian's comments incendiary rhetoric. Now, believe it or not, Anna is a rising star among the pro-choice movement. And while I can't find abortion mentioned in either the Old or New Testaments, I also can't seem to find it in our Constitution. Now, I do find it interesting that while the Supreme Court in 1973 found, somehow between the lines and written in invisible ink, that a woman has a right to abort a growing child, but that men have no right within these mysteriously discovered rights as to the outcome of that life. According to the biology classes I've taken, and probably the ones that you've taken as well, and with the exception of artificial insemination, men are unquestionably an involved party in the creation of a child. Now, don't you find it strange that when a woman decides to keep their pregnancy, and a man who helped create that life wants nothing to do with the child, that he can legally be compelled by court to take the financial responsibility for that child. And as you know, this includes all the expenses of care, education, medical, until the child becomes 18 years of age in most states, and even thereafter in some. This despite him saying that 
he was deceived as to the birth control status of the woman or other such tomful reclaims? If paternity can be established, and with DNA it certainly can be in today's world, ask Hunter Biden. There's no escaping the legal responsibility. Mind you, I'm not arguing against this position. I'm merely pointing out the strange decision tree to keeping or terminating a pregnancy. So if the woman chooses to abort her child, or their child, I should say, the man who helped create that life has has no standing as to the outcome or any say in her legally exclusive decision to terminate their jointly created life or to keep, or even to keep this developing child, one way or the other. A woman can rid herself of her pregnancy, certainly in New York or several other woke states, at any time up to and including delivery of a full-term infant. Notice it's her pregnancy and not their pregnancy. We're, we're told it's a woman's exclusive right to choose, not a man's right to participate in that decision. It's like that old adage, my female partner and I each have an equal vote, but my female partner gets to break all the ties. There are also other parts of our abortion laws that really don't compute. Why isn't the male who helped create the life form in question responsible for at least half the cost of the abortion, if that's what the woman decides or chooses? But in the end, the woman is the party that has the hardship of growing the life and birthing the child. So if someone has the right to that life's determination, I suppose it's hers. But still, consider this. I'd like to share a clip from a movie on Fox Nation entitled Roe v. Wade. Now, the plot uh, to this quasi-documentary is about Dr. Bernard Nathanson and, and Dr. Mildred Jefferson. And they square off in this movie in a national battle in 1972-73 in sort of what they uh, claim is an untold conspiracy that led uh, to the famous and controversial court decision that we've been talking about. The setting is a law class, and, and the class is about to open this session. Here's the clip. Professor, everyone's talking about what's happening in Texas. Is that what's on your minds? Only fanatics are against abortion. Oh, really? Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, the Dalai Lama? It would seem to me clear as daylight that abortion would be a crime, Mahatma Gandhi. Fanatics? None of them were getting pregnant. Regardless, we should have the right to control our own bodies. Yes, one should have the right to do whatever she wants with her own actual body. But let me ask you something. What happens when that body starts to interfere with another body? You mean the rights of the fetus? It is part of our own bodies. All of your body parts share the same DNA, except the fetus. So the child, by definition, is not part of anyone's body, but their own. But how can you say it's a life? It can't live without the mother. Well, Dan, were you able to feed yourself without your mother the day after you were born? Well, that... Not even a one-year-old or a two-year-old can take care of themselves. You all protest the killing in Vietnam. So am I confused or is this just hypocrisy? The elderly, the handicapped, the incapacitated, they can't take care of themselves. Should we eliminate them too? What about birth defects? To kill an unborn child because of defects is what the Nazis used to do to the Jews. Let me give you a riddle. The father, sulfitic. The mother had tuberculosis. Of their four children, 
One was blind, the second died, the third was deaf and dumb, and the fourth had tuberculosis too. If the mother got pregnant again, what would you do with the baby? I wouldn't want my child to grow up disabled and suffer. You would have killed Beethoven. Don't you think that someone's hopelessness should motivate us to protect them, not destroy them? Again, there's an argument to be made for both the individuality of the unborn and the fact that it takes male and female DNA to create a pregnancy. Oh, by the way, do you realize that there's only one Democrat in the House and no Democrats in the Senate who are pro-life? Truly, there's, there's only one. I mean, just one, one single one, one pro-life Democrat in Congress, that being Henry Cuellar of Texas. And AOC and Bernie Sanders support, they supported a primary challenger by the name of uh, Jessica Cisneros to Henry's 2022 campaign re-election. Now, Henry's slightly ahead in the count of this week's primary election, but it appears that this election may go to a recount. Henry's been in the House for 20 years, but his stand on pro-life is an anathema to all the pro-abortion Democrat Party. And, and well, Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi claim to be Catholics, they both support on-demand abortion, abortion without restrictions of any sort. I believe it's obvious that they believe all issues having to do with abortion belong to their Caesars, and God has no moral, legal, or constitutional say in the matter. Now, here's a clip of Joe Biden explaining his religious and non-religious position on abortion. Mind you, this is what he said in 2012. With regard to abortion, I accept my church's position on abortion as a, what we call, de fide doctrine. Life begins at conception. That's the church's judgment. I accept it in my personal life. But I refuse to impose it on equally devout Christians and Muslims and Jews. And, uh, I just refuse to impose that on others. Uh, I, uh, I do not believe that, um, uh, that we have a right to tell other people that women, they, they can't control their body. It's a decision between them and their doctor. In my view, in the Supreme Court, I'm not going to interfere with that. I don't subscribe to the Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden School of Catholicism. These two progressives or so-called Democrat leaders believe they can be Christians and morally opposed to abortion in their personal lives, believing these unborn are life itself. But they can also advocate for unlimited abortion as a woman's some, somehow constitutional right. That somehow these two worlds are mutually exclusive or separated and that one can be true to both beliefs concurrently and that this is somehow intellectually logical. Few things can be more intellectually dishonest. Either you're all in for one or all in for the other. But like King Solomon's decision to cut the baby in two or leave it whole, you can't have it both ways. If you believe the unborn is a life, then murdering that life is a sin. It is a mortal sin. It imperils your very soul. Advocating for abortion, for the murder of a life as a senator, as a vice president, as a president, is a sin and, and a violation of your oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution. 
So the court is about to say that they were wrong. The decision to make abortion somehow a constitutional right of exclusively women or to give that right to anyone is not a legal or constitutional issue. But instead, it is rightly a political decision in a representative democracy. You know, the Democrats are always out saving democracy somehow, but somehow this is not the kind of democracy they want to save. Our Tenth Amendment says the powers not delegated to the United States, in other words, our government, by the Constitution, nor prohibited uh, by it uh, to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. I encourage you to read Justice Samuel Alito's draft majority opinion. You can find it online. It's easy to find, and it's much easier to read than most would imagine. It clearly researches and explains the court's past fatal flaws in the 1973 decision and in the 1992 Planned Parenthood v. Casey abortion decision. The court has a precedent. Talk about precedents. It has a precedent of correcting its wrong decisions, not continuing them. This is true no matter how long they've been wrong and no matter if over time other justices have rolled over and continued a bad decision because they feared a reversal would weaken our trust in the court? Wrong is wrong, and no amount of fancy rhetoric or aggressive intimidation by progressive Democrats illegally on and in front of Supreme Court justices' homes can change wrong. As we're wrapping up the Frankly Daniels show today, I contend we're one nation that's not under God and isn't indivisible. And there's questionable liberty and justice for some, but not for all. We may wish we were a nation of indivisibles, but at the moment, indivisibility is nothing more than part of an outdated pledge which, at best, half of America pays lip service to. I'm approaching 73 years here on sovereign American soil, and I I can't remember a time when this nation has been so triggered and divisible. Of course, there's periods just prior to the great American Civil War and during the Civil War and after this war until 1964 that we were violently divided over race. We were so divided that we managed to kill more than 625,000 fellow Americans and we maimed just a million more for good number keeping. But this pales in comparison to more than millions of abortions performed in our so-called United States of America. Criminally, we're about to surpass 64 million aborted babies since Roe v. Wade in 1973. Now, progressives proudly point to nearly 50 years of legal abortions in America. Some of us point to 64 million dead Americans. There is no other law or Supreme Court decision for which we have paid such an astonishing price for. Granting women the right to free themselves of unwanted pregnancies have cost this nation millions of homegrown citizens, not to mention the indelible black marks on our national soul. We've not lost one-twentieth as many citizens in all the wars this nation has fought 
since the Pilgrim's Landing at Plymouth in Massachusetts in 1620 or in Jamestown, Virginia in 1607. One nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all? With justice for who, really? Where does the unborn, growing in utero, waiting to come forth, where do they go to have their their rights voiced and protected? Abortion is an incredibly complex and vexing issue. Some abortions will always be necessary, and those that are should be legal, safe, and rare. God and His commandments aren't the solution to all of our problems. I would never pretend that. After all, God gave us free will, and He expects us to figure out what's right and what's wrong. But don't we already know what's wrong and what's right? Perhaps we've been negligent in speaking up and asserting our Judeo-Christian morality that has faithfully guided this great nation since its creation. Isn't it time we revert to one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all? I'm Daniel Francis Baranowski, and you've been listening to The Frankly Daniel Show. Thank you.